listening to another episode of the Niagara Moon podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin. I'm the uh, the maestro of MIDI behind Niagara Moon. I'm looking forward to this episode. We got a real nice one here. Um, Jesse Gillen Walters, aka Basic Printer. He's certainly no stranger to this podcast. We've talked a lot about many things in uh, past episodes, but he's finally joining me today to talk about a certain album in particular that we are both quite fond of. Swing Low Magellan from Dirty Projectors came out in 2012. And, you know, this is, uh, this is a longer episode, so I think we're just going to kick right into it. Oh, also, if you're a fan of what I do, uh, check out the Niagara Moon Patreon. Tons of stuff on there. Anyway, here we go. Here's uh, me and Jesse talking Swing Low Magellan. Jesse, this Dave Longstreth guy, is he the Gloitch father? Oh my god. <laughs> well, he he wasn't at first. I I say I would say arguably maybe he became something like that recently with some of the stuff he's been making. Oh, it doesn't go as far back as Bitta Orca. I guess there's some there's some Gloitch ethos there, but I think the Gloitch the the one of the market elements of the Gloitch is like tones. And you know, there's like there's some synth on that record, but not not majorly. Later on, like mo- okay. most recently it's been like off the wall synth stuff. I suppose that's true. Yeah. yeah. So may- maybe it'd be tobacco then. Oh, oh yeah, exa- exactly. Yes, exactly. The Gloitch land. Yeah, dirty project. Gloichland. <laughs> Deutschland. So how far back do you go with this band? Because this, this was your suggestion, or at least the, the band was. Oh, you really yeah. You wanted to talk about these guys. How, how, how entrenched is your fandom? So it's interesting because they weren't like um, a childhood or like high school band for me. They came to me right in the middle of, of college and uh, like properly, but a little bit before, you know, maybe – couple years before then i had heard like stillness is the move which was kind of their biggest mm-hmm. song uh and it, it had just come out and uh yeah two years later like swing on magellan came out after hearing that or three years later or whatever and um it's funny because i didn't even really i definitely enjoyed that record i listened to it a bunch of times and definitely enjoyed it um when it came out but we decided to go to syracuse new york to see them play um, and that was when it just solidified, like it just started this thing. It just started this ridiculous progression where like that show, I think to this day would say is my favorite concert I've ever been to. Um, it was Whoa. just, I know I, and I, it's hard to believe it sometimes, but, uh, there was just, they opened with, um, well, they opened with Swing Loma Joe on the song. I mean, this parsed down intro kind of thing, which was nice. And then yeah, they brought yeah. in like the rest of the band and they did um, Offspring or Blank. And that rocks Exactly. Out. Like that was kind of just being in that room with, you know, and they're like triggering like the 808 samples 
like the kick samples and the room is like rattling and you're like god it's like to me that was just this epitome kind of moment of like look at this scruffy kind of like nerdy ragtag band the way just the way they are and yet this feels like a rap concert (laughs) right now you know what Uh. i mean (laughs) and that was like the key kind of thing where i was just like whoa and then i just couldn't unattach myself from just them the whole time i was just like what are they gonna do now um and so after that it was just like i think i listened to swing Lama john on repeat for like a year and a half straight Mm. after that concert whoa okay (laughs) more or less um amongst other records but that's kind of where it goes back so i guess for me like you know 2012 2013 nice and you got them right before amber kaufman left then right? yeah and i was i was i was able to actually see her at that show um so and then that's interesting to think about because once you learn about like how she left and things and then i think back to that moment when i was actually witnessing them it was like right at the end you know uh, of their relationship so it's curious to imagine what was going on. Yeah, that's, I mean, one of the big things about this band, obviously, is it seems like a revolving door of members outside of just Dave Longstreth, mm-hmm. which, uh, I don't know, whenever I hear that that's a quality of a, about a band, I'm always a little curious. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to have a through line. It's not like founding member abandoned the group and they're totally something else now. It's like you're going to have the sort of same philosophy or like baseline of like their sound but then it's you just automatically have all these kind of different eras and interesting changes because they're letting new people come in all the time that seems to really be like i'm thinking of five eps which is their crazy extravagant (laughs) uh release they had throughout Mm -hmm. 2020 and what made that one of my like favorite things of theirs and i think just like a really strong project is it is this rotating effect like okay this singer with their ideas is going to come in for this and dave is kind of like a filter yeah almost or he's he's just like the the grand conductor right it yeah actually that's a great example of uh um this latest thing it's it's interesting because it's it's deliberately disjointed right it's like five five different zones that don't really connect um yeah. i mean they definitely connect but that you know are almost deliberately like different climates entirely um and yeah. before you're getting a lot of constant like fusion and uh you know you're getting bits of classical and bits of uh rock and roll and bits of indie and, and hip-hop and stuff but this was more strictly like this is the r&b's pop zone this is the experimental like orchestral zone this is the folky indie pop zone um yeah so interesting to kind of see that but both the separation and conglomeration that he does intentionally yes it all it all feels very calculated not necessarily in a bad Mm -hmm. way just very carefully thought out so that said what kind of zone are they in with swing low magellan i was trying to piece it together yeah so the thing about this is the thing about Swing on Magellan. I think the context is really key because if you look back at um, Rise Above and Bit of Orca, 
there's definitely through line elements of this kind of um, emphasis on like, you know, true performance or like capturing a room and, and uh, you know, miking, miking the amps and, and just being, being, you know, real about things. Uh, I think the difference here is that he's almost taking kind of like a bit of Orca rise above band dynamic and doing it pretty much solo um, in this kind of like he's sequestered off in this house in upstate New York and he's doing yeah. it all in there. And when you read about kind of, you know, interviews and things about that time, um, it sounds like he was intentionally pretty secluded and he would just, he, he says like, you know, he would every morning he'd wake up, make like make a pot of coffee and drink it all day in a pot of chili <laughs> and eat it all day. And then just, <laughs> and just write songs like at the end of his bed. Uh, and apparently, you know, he said he wrote like three or four albums worth of songs or something. Um, and so, you know, and he, he, he also talks about how he's, he was interested in like songs as self-contained things and like wasn't really interested in making like a big sprawling kind of concept album like he's used to doing. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. He kind of checked that box off early on. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Yes. Let's just do a song to song approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's, and, and he was also emphasizing kind of, you know, uh, ephemerality and you know not overthinking and and letting things be and i i mean all of that is definitely on this record there are kind of like there are a number of mis- quote unquote mistakes i could point out on this record that are just there where like you mean amber kaufman on uh, on to caesar being like what, what you said didn't make any sense <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, what is he trying to pull on that tune? I know, that, that right. That, that, having the B-roll right in the song. Yeah, like the bridge is just full of all that stuff. Exactly. Um, there's also just like moments where there's like doubling the lead vocal and the lead vocal will, you know, one of them will go, you know, embellish on, you know, one note and the other will embellish on another note. Or there's actually a moment in a Dance For You where he says two different words. <laughs> between the two you know and you get the sense that he was kind of like all right time for the vocal and it like gave himself two two takes and he was like made himself keep it or something like that um this 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 album really benefits from the ethos of working very quickly mm-hmm. like first idea best idea yes like that that approach really for a lot of artists rarely goes wrong i feel like that's that's always something i'm appreciative of when they just they don't overthink it they make a point not to overthink it. yeah i think you could be on something there um it's easy to feel skeptical of that you know but also it's like you know well you're i i feel like most most of most songs are probably built on first ideas you know it's like your your other ideas are going to be either emanations or echoes of the first idea or reiterations uh, anyway so um but yeah i think uh this record it's all about you know these kind of one-off tunes these one-off moments these exploratory kind of solitary things and uh it's it's a little scratchy um for that reason and i think um 
I think he was intrigued a little bit by the environment too, of just being in this kind of A-frame house, uh, you know, with the cover. Yeah, it's like, like I can picture it in my mind, just this cool farmhouse in, totally. in the, the hills of upstate New York. Totally, and you yeah. get, you know, on the cover, he's clearly like pushing that a little bit because apparently that was from, you know, that area as well. It's such a goofy photo. <laughs> I feel like he's literally in the process of explaining to this elderly neighbor, like, yeah, I'm in a, you know, rock band, you know, rock and roll. Mimic's playing the guitar. That's what know. we're doing here. I really do. I get the sense with that cover. The The thing about that cover is that it really feels like um, the cover of some cult classic album. Like, it feels like a like in the airplane over the sea or something, where at a glance you see that cover. Yeah, and, you don't question it. Yeah. You're like, that's, yeah. I don't know entirely what's going on, but that is... Very clear that that's like a you know a work of art or something like that. <laughs> Do you pick up a thing with these songs compared to really any others in the band's catalog? And maybe this is this could be quite a pull, quite a reach, but I hear a lot of like late sixties influence in songs like "Impregnable Question," yeah, or maybe uh, even "Swing Low, Magellan." Like uh, I don't know, like from Elvis in Memphis, Glenn Campbell, like just the, the way the drums and the bass sound is just this very solid, unassuming, like sort of country folk yeah. backdrop. Well, there's definitely some like Velvet Underground happening, you know. Oh yeah, no, you got the rock stuff going on too. Absolutely. I'm thinking like Sunday Morning, Velvet Underground is super <laughs> yeah. swing, Lama Jones. Yeah, there's that going the song. on. I, I totally agree. There's a vintage uh feel with with the kind of isolated it's well this is what's interesting i totally hear i I didn't think this but totally get your glenn campbell comparison like that's i get what you mean only on a few songs but yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) well it's interesting i think that's a key thing about this record is that there's definitely this homegrown folksy thing going on with with, yeah where there's like a warmth and an isolation to a lot of the tracks um and it definitely hits in this kind of undeniable way where it has that kind of sunny, tapey, focused feel. But at the same time, you're kind of like, are those like drum samples that he played on a sampler? <laughs> you know, that it's like kind of this hip hop yeah. feel. Um, it's really simultaneously hitting these these lines of like, this is this like arty Brooklyn indie thing with this hip hop leaning thing with this folksy, you know, timbre and then these like rock and roll guitars. Um I totally yeah, that's funny that you mentioned kind of Glenn Campbell. Yeah, late sixties acoustic folk rock kind of stuff. Interesting. It's it just feels like uh you're never gonna get a like back to basics album with a band as wild as dirty projectors but this feels like the closest approximation of what that would be i think you're i think you're right actually about that i think i would agree like i remember reading forever ago that one of the kind of the defining ideas going into recording this set of songs was as opposed to just the kaleidoscopic like chaos of a record like bitta orca like the whole idea is each song would have a number of musical elements going on that like you could keep track of and count at all ah. times. Like it never escapes like just an immediate tangible, like, okay, there's drums and bass and guitar and vocals and this like other weird thing. And that one, like you can, it, it pairs it all down. Yeah. 
doing that at the same time as taking in like a bajillion different disparate musical influences the way Longstreth seems to love to do it at any opportunity. Like, oh yeah, I'm, mic- I'm mixing like Schoenberg with yeah. Rihanna with like, he, he yeah. wants to put it all in and this is like, but this is like a very slowly measured out way to do that. I yes. Guess. God, that's, that's a key thing. Yeah. The, the, the restraint, right? Like, like a restrained version of this project is definitely this album, which still has, uh, you know, it's interesting to think about like, okay, when you, when you limit it vertically or, or so to speak, like what happens, like how, where does he go? And you end up with a song that, um, like maybe that was it. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, that one is still like, my brain is melting. <laughs> um, that, that one tests my patience a little to, bit, I, but every, yeah, it's, it's still, it's memorable. Yeah. But then it is also like, I think about, um, you know, uh, Dance For You, where That's the bridge one. is just, feels like, <laughs> the or, you know, feels, it ascends. feels like this orchid, this crazy experimental kind of, um, like almost Pendereki thing, <laughs> orchestral thing. Right. It's like, where did that come like from? And it's like turning my mind with, with that is always like, uh, it feels like you're like turning an hourglass upside down or something. And it's like... <laughs> You know, the Dave yeah. Crescendo and Crescendo, it gets super hard. It's like definitely the loudest part of the whole record is that crest of the end of that. <laughs> so like even... It, but it's not overwhelming somehow. Right. How it so easily could be. It, it, it eases you now into here's it. actually a side point about the band that... Or, well, it's not too much of a side point, but it illustrates kind of more of what we're talking about. Like at a point, this was... I don't know how many years ago, if you went on their website, you know, there was like the usual stuff like, oh, here are our videos, here's some photos. And then there was like a bonus section or whatever. And uh, I forget, it was like, oh, you know, the picture of us in this, you know, weird 2007 tour. Like here was the, you know, Swing Low Magellan House, this and that. It was like five things. But one of the things was like, here's the score of the bridge of Dance For You. Like that crazy. Yeah. And it just to me, that was like, in their mind, it's like, oh, yeah, like, this is the good stuff. <laughs> you know, like, people want to well, hear about this. that must have been particularly time-intensive for them to orchestrate that part. I bet that was, like, um, you know, that could have been the, the big chunk of a month. Yeah, yeah right maybe, there. yeah. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> Having like Having to write lot. all that out. and So we worked this hard on it, so you're going <laughs> to, the fans will get to appreciate mm-hmm. this. I could see that. Um. I gotta say the the rhythm section on a lot of these songs, just the the simplicity of the drums and the chunkiness of the bass. This is like one of my favorite bass albums of the twenty first oh, century. Wow. I think some of the the sweet the sweet bass lines on a song like "Gun Has No Trigger," like that's right in my oh yeah my zone. I always well, th- I absolutely agree um, with the bass presence on this record. A thing with with Dirty Projectors and bass lines is. Oh, it has always intrigued me so much. It's kind of like, um, uh, for example, if you go back to like Pet Sounds, which didn't you do an episode on Pet Sounds? I don't think I listened to it yet. Haven't yet uh, been requested. It's uh, it's okay, in the queue. Great, great, I mean, great. come on, it's it's Pet Sounds. So, uh, I'm like Pet Sounds. You listen to the bass lines there, and it's it's a similar vibe, like uh, on Sloop John B or something. It's kind of like the bass is in a different key. It feels like you know, 
Um, and it's meandering and will kind of settle on like a fifth or a fourth when you feel like clearly this would be like a root note, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember when at this concert in Syracuse yeah. when they opened up with uh, Swing Low Magellan and I hadn't known it as well, uh, you know, that song opens up and, and the bass line is sitting on doom, 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 doom. It's sitting on the fifth. Doom, 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 doom. And mm -hmm. the chords are, you know, one, ten to forty, one, ten before. And the bass is the whole time. And I straight up thought at That's that great. concert, I was like, he's fucking up. Oh, sorry for the language. Oh. Um, no, we can do the, the Okay. I was like, you, he's uh, playing the wrong note. You, it sounded wrong to you. Yes. Wow. And it was, it was. But still fits. Yeah. Oh, like it, it, it fits objectively, you know, musically. And then uh, when I listened back, uh, when I listened back, you know, I appreciate it. And at the, but at the concert, it, you know, I guess this is the interesting thing is like when I listened to it the few times before the concert, it didn't stick out to me. So clearly it fit. Right. But in this concert environment where it was very, there was, no, that was the only thing to focus on or it was very present. I was like, what is that? Why is he doing that? I thought it was wrong. Um, but so in terms of bass lines and, you know, I feel like he's always doing that. He's always thinking about like, where can I write a kind of bass riff that meanders or settles in a weird spot and do yeah. that as much as possible? <laughs> yeah, no, that that's making me think like, is the ethos of so much of this music, like let's start off with really simple, almost kind of like, you know, maybe derivative ideas, like let's do things a very simple way, but then every little decision on, like when you're fine-tuning it, I'm going to put a little weird little twist in there. Like everything is, it takes, the, the core is something familiar, and then every little component has to have something just a little wonky about yeah. it. And like they have to do it for every single aspect of, <laughs> yeah. of all their songs almost. I think you're right about it. Um I think you're right. Uh, like, for example, and I'm, it's so hard to know what my favorite song would be, but one of one of my favorites, if not my favorites, is uh, See What She's Seeing. And yeah, that's that's more uh, elated one. Right, and there's more... Is that the one where it's like, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Yeah. <laughs> there's probably the most fidget, fidget tree on that. You know, there's like yeah. these samples or all these perk samples and... It's like uh, what I love about that song is uh, you know these guitar chords on like a whammy pedal, right? They're like getting pitched, but then uh, he'll play, you know, and then it, in the left uh, speaker, it's a Juno doing these like soft chords, and they're kind of trading off, and that's the thing. But like that song is kind of ever, ever in motion, um, yeah in a way that the other songs are, are not like, um, you know, about to die or something is, well, about to die, uh, you know, is, well, I, I guess I'd say that song is pretty straightforward, but, uh, it's, it's hard to say that about any of these songs. There's always something to point out about them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a question about the lyrics and, I mean, there's there's going to be somebody out there listening to this who knows every, you know, they're they're well versed enough to get a little frustrated with me on this, <laughs> but I I get with it's just from Chevron, yeah. I get what he's saying with that. 
kind of going after the hypocrisy and just the, the tragedy of these big oil companies and all the messed up stuff going on there. And it's, but it's kind of coded, but like, I get that. I get what Amber Kaufman's singing about in the social socialites. Mm-hmm. That's pretty straightforward. And the rest of these tunes, <laughs> I mean, if I really put my time in, I could probably start to piece it together. But you, even you, as somebody who listened to this record on repeat for a year and a half, What's going on with the rest of the topics in this this Great. album? Because the, the amount of times I've heard it, I still don't know what the themes are, really. <laughs> Great question. I mean... Or is it not meant to be read that well, way? Because, you know, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely so much, um, you know, as much as he was trying to hit this somewhat straightforwardness or or, or simplicity, like, the lyrics definitely still have this kind of, like, you know, uh, you know, overindulgent kind of flair sometimes. <laughs> well, they match the musical content to it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, some of these I could speak to, I'm sure like irresponsible tune is about like the power of, you know, how he feels kind of like music is his outlet, um, or, or could be kind mm. of the outlet or, or holds the, holds the key to kind of like, peace or stasis um but we're always wrestling with it and you know either misunderstanding it or or just you know not letting it cut through yeah without songs we're lost and life is pointless harsh yeah. and long yeah okay um that's, that's more straightforward now, you know at a glance because i'm looking at the track list now for example offspring are blank i thought a lot about um <laughs> okay. and i have a pretty good theory about what it's about and it really links to the rest of the record in a lot of ways. Um, I think a lot of what's going on with this record is about environmentalism, like you're talking about, like with just from Chevron, mm. you have the cover of the album, you know, you have just this idea of it being a more ecological experience in general, you know, um, an ecological process um, and things like that. Swing Low Magellan, or sorry, um, Offspring are Blank, I'm trying to get the lyrics here. You know, uh, there was a single one, then there were ten. There was a single you one, know, like po- overpopulation. Um, I think this song is is particularly about the intergenerational problem of, you know, environmental ethics, where it's like, okay, well, if, if we are the six billion people, is it our duty to make room for a generation that does not yet exist yet? Like. There's an ethical dilemma mm. there of like, do we need to leave an, an earth inhabitable for our next, uh, you know, for people that don't exist yet, you know? And, and it's funny because I took an environmental ethics class at the time I was going to, at the time I went to this, this oh. um, concert. So it really, it was on my mind. But yeah, there was a single one that were 10, so this kind of over uh, population situation. Um but then, you know, the chorus, he was made to love her, He was ma- she was made to love him. It's almost saying, it's like, well, you have a right to populate, right? You have a, light, uh, a right to, to you know, be a, be a human population and, and, and populate and continue on. Like, I can't deny you your right to have, you know, a family or a child or, or love each other if it, you know, if it's irresponsible to do so in the face of this kind of overpopulation situation. Um, you know, and their offspring loved them, but you know, so the title "Offspring Are Blank" is like, well, we can't love and and recreate 
you know, procreate if you're going to be irresponsible and give them, you know, nothing to live on is kind of thing. It's like, what's the point? Um, you know, what, what good is your future in, in, in your kin and your children? Um, that's kind of how I interpret that song. That seems like a pretty, I'm looking over the lyrics more in depth too. That seems like a pretty pitch perfect reading <laughs> of it. That's a pretty heavy, heavy thing to dig into in four minutes and open your album with. <laughs> well, the thing is, the the um, the thing is, the music video is he's in like a hazmat suit, wandering around a landfill, uh. and when the choruses hit, it cuts to them like in this nice, pristine kind of countryside, and there's this juxtaposition of like here is the you know the pure world, here is the destroyed world sort of thing. Um, and the chorus is about like she was made to you know, but we must, you know, converge. We must like find love and procreation. Yeah. So I think it's about this, these kind of clashing ideas. Is like we're human, uh, you know, we're meant to feel and 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 live and love and all that, but we also have these things to focus on <laughs> that may. Uh, that yeah. may be our undoing. Well, the environmentalism, that concern, I mean, that didn't really go anywhere. I mean, Earth Crisis, right, is, is mm-hmm. one of the, the EPs from this past year. Yep, absolutely. So, I'm, I'm he's got, he's vegan, right? He's oh. got to be, Longstreth. <laughs> I actually don't know. I, Do you know? I don't know, but I, I feel that. <laughs> oh, man. It just, he has the Brooklyn vegan build. I Definitely. I mean... He'll he'll outlive all of I us. I feel you on it. Um, the th- the other thing about it's actually a worthy thing to bring up is like one thing that you come to find with Dirty Projectors and David Longstreth in general is like one of his things is like he's really interested in superimposing this layer of kind of you know kind of kind of vapid and like pop culture concepts and being like put it next to like Nietzsche or like some really academic stuff you know um that's I mean that's back to five EPs I mean they're they're looking at these portraits in this hoity-toity art gallery but they're portraits of like a circuit city yeah exactly that juxtaposition is right like like this modern art kind of context it's like oh yes you know like give hmm I wonder what this means and it's you know it's like <laughs> it, it's it, the most vapid thing you can exactly think of. That's <laughs> exactly what I'm getting at. Um, or kind of like in the self-titled record, you know, it's as simple as, um, you know, there's a lyric in Up in Hudson where he's like, "We talked for like two minutes," <laughs> you know, and it just cut cuts yeah. into this hyper casual, yeah. offhand kind of thing. But yeah, banal. You know, so many of the lyrics on that song are like this very heightened kind of thing, and. uh yeah, so I think that happens. Um, I actually forget what put me off on that. Um, on that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, you see a lot of that juxtaposition of like, oh, you were talking about the veganism. I, so basically, I could also understand if he, if he wasn't a vegan for that reason, and it was like, oh well, you know, I enjoy a Wendy's sandwich every now and again you know and would have some like real 
like, oh yeah, just those flavors, and it's interesting to think about this uh, kind of you know fat the fast food and how it works into American life. Like, I'm sure he would all he could all that's as valid that he would have that perspective. <laughs> like a, a PhD in hipster irony, right? Yeah, I guess there's an ironic right. I guess that could be at play. <laughs> the set of tunes, it's just uh, it's it got criticism. Mm-hmm. From uh, I mean, who knows? It could have just been from one outspoken critic about how if you really dig into it more, like, you know, quote unquote, at second glance, the ideas being presented aren't quite as like it it, it doesn't uh, hold up under close scrutiny or something like the the ideas aren't quite as thoughtful as they might mm-hmm. appear to be with. But I don't know. It's I, I don't I don't I haven't seen evidence of that so far. I either like kind of get what he's going for him and I'm like I get into it I'm pretty impressed or I just I'm not quite clear on it yet but like impregnable question mm-hmm. I don't know if you you can break that one down for me that's one of my favorites oh yeah absolutely I mean I've always so I I found this song to be pretty straightforward about like when you're in a relationship like you're going to hit um disagreements and discomfort but in this well and and actually there's a bit to talk about with the song, but, uh, you know, on its face, it's like, okay, in a relationship you hit disagreements or discomfort, but that can't be your undoing, right? Like you have to trust through those moments and know um, that you'll prevail through them because everything that surrounds them is, is theoretically more sustainable and enjoyable and worthwhile. Um, the thing with this song in particular is that I've, I've always read this song to be um, a lot more futile than that. I kind of I see almost a deeper admission of like we really aren't uh, <laughs> we really aren't working and I'm barely holding on. It's kind of what I read there, but there's definitely more of a. I think in his mind it was more redeeming than that, um, personally. Mm. But what's funny is you know shortly after this, uh, the person that the song is about, the people that the song was about, you know, they did separate and he ended up sampling this in uh in keep oh, yeah right. he sampled this yeah. in a later song called keep her name which was about that the breakup of that person yeah with, with mm-hmm. amber kaufman yeah so to me i read that as like okay he knew that the song was kind of this um about this kind of hinging moment of like well we are at odds a lot of the time but I just have to trust, like, well, it's been eight years or whatever, and and clearly we've built all this up. Like, it must be worthwhile. But I, I always read that song to be like, you're in denial or this is a little futile. Because it would feel more uh, certain to me if if it were not uh, problem, you know, as as laden with with issues. Hmm. Um. That's how I always read that. But yeah, you have extra context on that song because of its reanimation in a later song. Yeah. And I mean, it, I'm just saying he commented about it at the time, just like, this is the most personal I'm getting on this record. This is the more, like, the most true to life I can be. With Impregnable with. Question? Um, yeah. yeah. I think I would agree. So, um, yeah, there's... Uh, so maybe that was a bad example in terms of uh, oh. ambiguity of lyrics. That, that does well, seem more uh, straightforward now that sure. I... Yeah, well, here's the... Th- 
one thing we could look at is like, you know, uh, if you take this environmentalism theme into some of these songs, uh, I think a lot is, you know, a lot is borne out. Like, I think the first three songs, they're about, you know, death of some kind, right? Um, but it's kind of this this weird philosophical um, <laughs> look at it with Offspring or Blank, you know, it seems to be like, oh, well, your future generation is kind of uh, potentially irrelevant as much as, as, as valid as they are. About to Die is kind of talking about, like, you don't know that you're living a life of either malaise or one that is actively working against you. And like at the end, he's saying like, you're already dead and you're, you're a zombie looking in the mirror. Uh, like you don't know that every day you're driving your car doing, you know, digging into your seemingly banal habits, like that you're actually uh, digging your grave or, or like digging the grave for everybody else. And I think gun has no trigger has a similar vibe where um, it's talking about this concept of like, you know, uh, you can't, there's just this ironic, like when you do want to, to, to disappear or be rid of yourself, it's like you're stuck on these conventions or you can't, you can't get out of this situation. Um, you know, like when, when danger comes to you, uh, it's too late kind of thing and you have to live with it. And it's, I think it's all has to do with this concept of like, if we don't, take care of this environmental issue it's like um you'll find like oh we only have you know you could say oh we have 60 years left of, of kind of re renewable resources yeah. but it's like oh that's a long time you, you could take two perspectives you'd be like okay well that's plenty of time but as soon as you get to year 31 you're like no no, no now we can't go back and i think that's kind of what gun, gun has no trigger is about partially not directly but that i think there's kind of that vibe like all of these songs have this kind of ethical theoretical philosophical vibe of like what is the validity of your experience or life based on yeah. this time bound and like how you interact with the world kind of thing well now i'm wondering i mean because the timeline sort of roughly lines up how much you know he's a brooklyn guy new york city how much of recent events, including the 08 uh, housing market crash and then Occupy Wall Street going on mm. in 2011, how much of that was the backdrop to like these, you know, th he's addressing a lot of worries, a lot of kind of like deep-seated issues. I wonder if he was kind of just soaking the, the environment of that time, like and if that was uh, becoming a big influence for him. I think you're probably right about that. I didn't even think about the kind of you know if, if this was the the 90s would this have a lighter tone yeah, musically yeah. or thematically well i know for example like he and ezra koenig um from vampire weekend like they played my man ezra yeah i'm a big vampire weekend fan yeah <laughs> you know they played like at bernie rallies in 2012 uh or 2016 um i believe it was and, you know, so he has that kind of, you know, activism, you know, definitely things, things that align with, with Bernie Sanders, you know, um, political position. I think a lot of that lines up here with environmentalism and, uh, and all that stuff. So, 
I think there could be his mind could have been on those things. Something yeah. there. So you became a gigantic Dirty Projectors fan, like you were saying. You saw that show, and then so what? What is like high level Dirty Projectors fandom look like exactly? Like, do you go back through all the albums through the early two thousands that Longstreth made by himself, or slash like? You got favorites in particular. What, what's that uh, that fan experience like? Well, it was you know, Swing Low Magellan is a great entry point for anybody because it's yeah, yeah a lot of people were saying it's like that. we're saying where you know it is parsed down, but there's still the in the idiosyncrasies there. There's still these goofy, kind of hyper brainy asides, but they aren't like all consuming unless you're listening to maybe that was it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then Bitter Orca is, you know, taking it a little bit deeper, but there's still a similar vibe there. And then once you're there... Um, yeah. it's a lot of hooks on Bitter yeah, Orca. for sure. And uh, there's there's a lot to settle into. Um, at you asking me this question, I'm going back to, you know, when Swing Low Magellan was out, and there, there are now three records after that yeah. that I could recommend, you know... Um, so now, right. you know, I think uh, if, if you're more into the poppy stuff, there's Lamplit Prose is very easy to settle into. I would yep. say maybe that's... She's a breakthrough. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a, good, a good example of the, that juxtaposition I was talking about where he's like, she keeps it 100 in the shade. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, Lamplit Prose, Swing Low Magellan, if, if you're more of like a, an indie rock person, Swing Low Magellan, more of a pop person, Lamplit Prose, I think those would fare well but like you know anything in the kind of and then in my opinion if you're a masochist dirty projectors self-titled oh <laughs> that one I was love... a little too heavy yeah, for oh me. yeah <laughs> that 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 one feels like a fans only sure. situation like that, that's right but i'm sure everybody has a different opinion i on think that. oh I, I love the record i think it's um you know it's it's weird it's, it's challenging in this totally other territory because you kind of look at like pre Swing Low Magellan and Post, and they're like different worlds. Like Post is is more is is much more electronic, um, and there are you have your poppy areas and your more challenging areas, and then that's this kind of the same pre Swing Low where you have more poppy areas, more challenging areas, but more in this like strictly um, analog realm, like acoustic oh, yeah, guitar yeah. realm. But you know, if you get into uh, you know, like the Getty address. Did you listen to the Getty address? I haven't, it, but that's it uh, that's based on a very interesting. Yeah, premise. it's great. Uh, making a whole album about Eagles musician Don <laughs> Henley, one of the most unlikable dudes in rock history. Yeah. Um, you know, if you like, I I think that's kind of the last stop. Is is Getty address? Okay, you know, for for. For any burgeoning fan, it's like maybe maybe uh, I, I would say look at Swing Low Magellan. Look, if you're more poppy and electronic, look after, and if you're if you're more rock centric, look before, and uh, and um, yeah, maybe hit Getty Dress last. <laughs> is mm. what I would say. And five EPs, I think, is maybe just as good a point as uh, Swing Low Magellan. That might be my. My other favorite set of tunes oh, they put out. Yeah, cool. I mean, Overlord feels like the obvious pop choice. Oh, major, and and that first EP is is Swing Low Magellan ish in ways, like getting to that parsed down folksy thing. 
Yeah, what did you think of like the Earth Crisis stuff with the orchestral samples? I liked it. That that gets a little more uh, avant-garde, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't listened to it as much as I could, but I remember I put the whole thing on, and I just I felt it really did flow. Mm. Like uh, there were a lot of standout moments. Um, he collaborated with Bjork. Well, I guess the the whole group did. Like shortly after uh, Bit to Orca, did you ever? Mount Wittenberg, yeah, yeah, Orca. Course. I haven't li- I haven't checked that one out yet, but oh wow, that's that's quite a pairing. So it's um it's really like an EP or like a mini album, I guess you could say. Yeah. And uh, apparently, yeah, I forget how they connected. I think uh you know I think they did a performance at like Strand Bookstore, some esteemed bookstore in uh in you know New York City, Brooklyn, New, New York City. Um, yeah, and I think basically I think. The person at that bookstore, you know, the person who owned it, like, knew Bjork and knew Dirty Projectors and, and hooked them up. Uh, I may be misremembering this, but uh, basically they got on the line with each other and were like, hey, you know, this guy said we should play at this bookstore together. And Bjork was like, you know, he was like, what do you want to do? And, and Bjork was like, oh, let's, like, do some new stuff. And David was like, um, <laughs> all right. And I guess he wrote yes. all of that in <laughs> 10 days. <laughs> Uh, I guess he wrote the whole album in 10 Man works well quick. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I guess, like, if Bjork called, like, if David Byrne called me, and well, if David Longstreth called me and was like, hey, man, do you want to play a show sometime, like, next week? I'd be like, yeah, 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 what do you, uh, you know, what do you need? I was thinking, like, two new records. I would write, like, two new records. I'd make it happen. Yeah, round the clock. Um, So, I don't know, and... uh, you can tell that it was written quickly, like it kind of hones in on these concepts of like, okay, this song is about this vocal, you know, phenomenon, and this album is about this chord progression, and it's pretty, it's pretty parsed down, but it's, it's cool, um, for sure, I would say. Yeah, and that lines up perfectly with uh, Bjork's whole thing about n- nature. She she explores nature, right? A lot the- right, and and it's a. I think her single Natura came around came out around ah, this time. Okay. Singing about the power of nature. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, that does line up. The It's all lining the, up. <laughs> the concept of that record is like, you know, it's about like a pot of whales and like Amber is like the the mother whale or, or something like that. <laughs> or maybe she's like one of the the child whales and, and I think Bjork is the mother whale or something like that. But but you know, it gets it's that kind of heady. <laughs> Like, uh, just, you know, but it's about definitely hitting on this environmentalism thing, and the cover also very naturalistic. So, have you heard Amber's uh, solo work? Because what's been her path since she she broke up with? Yeah, the band? so I, I did. I have listened to her record. Um, it's funny because do you know this app Clubhouse? Not much to explain aside from Amber Kaufman's on there, and I was actually able to talk to her. Uh, verbally on that app uh not long you know a month or two ago so i was able to you know she was talking about her career a bit and i was i do have some information on this but yeah her solo record is quite good and david you know longstreth produced it and it was after they had broken up actually um but yeah, a few years yeah, later yeah and and she is you know says like you know just for the sake of the music it made total sense like you know he's my closest collaborator my most with the most tenure like knows me more than anyone musically um yeah yeah so 
he produced that and uh, apparently you know after that like uh you know it hasn't been they haven't been on good terms so i'm not sure i i get the sense that maybe they kind of unofficially reconvened you know r- potentially mm. romantically during that time this is pure speculation but i just get the sense that oh, it was like course, something yes. didn't settle right with that moment because afterward they you know they're not they're no longer on good terms to my knowledge mm. um but uh yeah, she is now trying to write out in, I think, Arizona right now. I think that's still true. Um, and she was saying that she's having a very hard time of it. <laughs> because uh, we actually talked a little bit about it. I was like, do you feel like, you know, I was like, do you find writing to be hard? Because I find it to be extremely hard. And she's like, yeah, it's like I'm, it's extremely hard. I'm not having a good time doing it right now. <laughs> So she's trying to do new stuff, um, but I think taking her own time with it and seems to be at peace with that. And, you know, she's kind of been living off, amongst other things, you know, royalties from like Major Lazer and uh, and Frank Ocean and stuff. So, Oh, yeah. I love her vocals on Get Free. Yeah. Yeah. So I think she has enough kind of in the back catalog that's floating her a bit um, and is yeah. just... Trying to just soul searching and and doing some solo stuff as much as you can. Yeah, I mean, you never know what goes on behind closed doors, but it's if there is this idea like, oh, wouldn't it have been nice if she could have stayed in the band and they kept up this swing low Magellan kind of band arrangement? And you know, there was so many years in between that album and the, the self, the eponymous. Mm-hmm. That's just like the Dave Longstreth solo show. Like, you know, yeah, I, I start to wonder about these alternate realities. What could the band have done if they if things stayed a certain way and all that? But yeah, um, like I said, I like five EPs, so I, I'm excited to to see them continue. And yeah, he he couldn't he, he didn't want to get away from like the three part female vocals. Um, it's a key key part of the right, sound. and even on the on the self titled, it was like that was there. It was just him instead doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, some reason he can't get away from that like wall of voices thing, which is so yeah. market. It's so good. it works for yeah. him. It's very good. Yeah. Um, for sure, very marked. I guess kind of trademark thing. That leaves us with the last question of how do you feel about his singing voice? Oh my god. Great question. So we didn't even touch on no, that. No, it's <laughs> funny because. <laughs> so I once or I don't remember what review. I think it was on the self-titled record. They were in this review. They were talking about how you know it does. His voice does feel more controlled, which I totally agree. It feels more controlled, um, and and you know fine-tuned. And in that review, they were saying like, well, you know, it feels more controlled and fine-tuned. He normally sounds like, um, you know, like a dog with his tail getting stepped on, <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> which I totally understand. Like he is overexpressive, right? Like on all all gauges of singing, like vibrato, you know, volume, like melodic range, and over execute, like executing above where he's probably should you know um yeah there's and it's 
you know, you can look all over the discography and look at his voice, and you're like, you go back to um, the Glad Fact, which is like his second release ever, and it is like he is just not hitting anything. Like he is barely <laughs> exe- like, but he doesn't care, and the tone is is yeah. nice. But you see that, and then you see other stuff where it's a lot more in control and, like, there's a lot of progression. But what I'll say is that, uh, I don't know, I find his his vocals to be exhilarating and very fun. Like, it just feels like you're almost uh, on a roller coaster with his his vocals. It's almost fun to just, mm. like, catch, catch what he's doing and, and see where he's going to go and, and how it's so uninhibited. I remember... When I first heard um, No Intention from Bitter Orca, which was like the first David Longstreth-led song I'd heard, yeah, I remember you know playing Legend of Zelda Wind Waker with my friend Brandon in his dorm room when it came on. And I remember just being like, wow, I having the conscious thought, like, I think that uh, whoever, whoever that guy is, is a really good singer. I remember having that thought consciously. Um I think mm. on that song, you know, it's easier to just say, "Oh yeah, you know, he he does that, he does that well." But there's so much territory where you're like, "I understand uh, being turned off or being like, shut up <laughs> with some of his his stuff." <laughs> well, I, I think it's kind of straightforward in the sense that either you can't deal with it at all and you're just not going to listen to it, or you're like, "Oh, okay, that's." that's part of the deal he's he's a unique like there's nobody else that sounds like him oh my god and it doesn't sound and i don't know about the really early stuff but it doesn't sound like of poor quality it's just very 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 unique to him and so i i for the most part i i tolerate i tolerate it pretty well but that's why i also love how he insists most of the time on getting the harmony in there and these these gorgeous uh sonically gorgeous female vocals and that's like I need that to bounce it out sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I bet he thinks of that too. These pristine because the, the the BGVs are always pristine too, like super on in tune. And when you see him live, it's yeah. like it's even crazier. Like wow, that is perfectly executed. And I think he knows that's kind of like a backdrop, so that when he kind of is scri- you know proverbially scribbling all over the canvas with his vocals that it's going to be okay because there's a fine yeah. <laughs> foundation behind it. Uh, yeah, just the the moment on on this album Swing Low that really stuck out to me with his vocals. I think I think it was just from Chevron oh. and there's he reaches this like screechy point yeah. that sounds like I'm like wait was that the weird electric guitar going on or was it like <laughs> it's talking like, about like he's using that interesting effect I swear I will survive <laughs> yeah 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 that's reaches a fever pitch there's there. another uh yeah another kind of like blatant mistake moment is is in that, those choruses he's like there's just a time where he's like whenever the people will drive oh i swear he's like uh <laughs> yeah, yeah whenever the people drive <laughs> like it's just he totally loses it on one of those syllables <laughs> and leaves uh, it in. but it's it he loses it and like a talking head's like actually that's exactly how i want that moment to sound totally kind of way which he, he knows what he's he has there. collaborated with david byrne as well yeah, very, very fitting yep. there. I mean, 
I'd kind of, we're, we're kind of going into the end here. I'd, I'd really sum it up with the more I listen to music, you know, I, th- I think overall this is a band for music nerds more than just casual listeners dipping their toes into the waters of whatever genre. I, this is music for people who like to listen to a lot of music. Yeah. And when you listen to a lot of music, I think you appreciate more and more uh, music that really has distinct character mm. in some way, some some X factor that really sets it apart from everything else, for better or for worse. And that's uh, that's just what I was reminded of re- revisiting this album. Is this the really there's a lot, and they're mixing it all together in a very unique way for them, and it's it's. Uh, you know, over the years, this has been a pretty unforgettable album for me, I'd say. Man, that's actually a great point. I hadn't even thought about just that assessment. Like, if you're listening to a lot of music, suddenly it becomes very clear when something, you know, when one artist is similar to another, similar one genre is kind of samey. Um, it makes an album like this, you know, it's it satiates you, uh, and yeah, I think that's the thing about Dirty Projectors is like they are interested in putting all of these very interesting kind of flares and standout moments. Um, even if even if they know it's like oh, we're kind, we're kind of being a little bratty about this, but it's you know it can be kind of delightful for that reason. Yeah, it's like a a club you can get membership in by just you know, really pouring over the songs and yeah. studying them and, and coming to them. They're not going right, to come to you. Right, right. You can good, come into good, their good world. Point, yeah. <laughs> so Swing Low Magellan, this album in three words, what would your, your three words three be? Three words. To sum it up. Um, man. Definitely uh, <laughs> three words. Do you have yours? You only got three. Yeah, I'm going to go All first. Right. You're taking too long. <laughs> uh, jagged. Mm-hmm. Naturalistic. Mm-hmm. And arty. Damn, that's good. Uh, I would say punchy, expressive, and um, exuberant. How about that? All right. There's six in I total like for, for any any given yes. person. <laughs> You can do a lot with those six. Mm-hmm. All right, Jesse, this has been a pleasure. I'm glad I find I know you've been obsessing over this band. Um, I know they're one of your favorites, so it was really a treat to to get to dig into them in depth with you and, and see where the, the magic oh, lies. It was, Thanks for coming on today. Yes, thank you. It was more, I bet, enjoyable for me, even. It was a delight. And, you know, I think it's safe to say if people like 30 Projectors, they would enjoy basic printer if they're not already familiar oh. with them but uh people want to check out what you're doing what would you point them towards what's your what's your deal at the moment i would say just go to basicprinter.com at any given moment the most relevant thing will be there for you all right thank you so very much glad to uh to talk about the the wacky wonderful world of of Gloch pop and its many <laughs> yes disciples and descendants <laughs> That's it. That was a good one. Thanks for for staying for all of that. If you really like this podcast and you want it to get a little more prominence, you can go ahead and leave a nice rating, uh, write a nice review 
on your podcast platform of choice, such as uh, Apple. And uh, that's going to be it for today. Next week, I am talking about Sufjan Stevens, Illinois. Bye-bye.